What's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? Here you are. You made it to church. We are going through some coffee in the lobby. You guys would think that we drink more coffee in the wintertime, but we don't. It's the summertime because you guys are running on two hours of sleep, right? So anyway, if you are here and you're only half here, I am glad that you're here. So uh, we are ACF Church. If you're new, um, I'm, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. and I've been out for a couple weeks, um, been on vacation and excited to be back with you. I missed you guys. I miss uh, teaching and just being with you. Uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Stewart were able to bring the word for two weeks, and they just did an amazing job. It was great to be able to, uh, to tune in from a distance on Facebook Live. In fact, can we welcome everybody who's with us this morning on Facebook Live? We're glad that you're with us as well. If you're online or you're here um, on Facebook because uh, you don't want to listen to my sermon, uh, go ahead and share that, uh, that post and invite your friends just to be able to check out ACF Church from a distance. And so we always love that, uh, that you can kind of be part of the community, even if you're out of town, if you're on vacation, or uh, maybe you're new to the community and you're just checking out church for the first time. So uh, we are in a series called Rhetorical Questions. It's been a good journey. This is the last week, the last question that we're going to wrestle with. Um, it's been challenging. It's been difficult, and I feel like it's been life-giving to wrestle with the questions that Jesus asked, because he has this way of penetrating our hearts and forcing us to deal with some of the deeper issues that we might otherwise uh, push to the side. So, um, but yeah, it's good to be back with you. Um, I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's where our family is. Anybody been to Cheyenne? Been through there? Yeah, so that's kind of where our family's at. Um, we always go this time of year because the only big thing that happens in Cheyenne is called Frontier Days. It's a big rodeo that happens there, so uh, everybody in Cheyenne turns into a redneck for a week, and they'll put cowboy hats on and boots on, and we just uh, do the cowboy thing, and so it was great. I got, I got pneumonia. I uh, never had pneumonia before, but it just, that's just how it goes, right? You go on vacation, and you catch pneumonia, so, uh, but one of, the, one of the things I actually enjoy the most about uh, being away is going to church and not having to do anything. Um, you might not be able to connect with this, but, you know, Sundays are busy. Wednesdays are really busy. We do church uh, on Wednesday night as well. And so it's just fun for me to go to my in-laws' church. They have a great church there in Cheyenne and, and to be a part of that. And uh, in fact, one day I was driving their car. I stopped by a bookstore and went inside. And uh, the lady at the counter, she was like, hey, hey, do you go to that church? And I was like, what is she talking about? And I looked at the car, I realized that my in-laws have this big white sticker with the church logo on the back window. And I'm like, yeah, I go to that church. You know, I'm thinking like twice a year or whatever. But I, yeah, I go to that church. And, and uh, she goes, oh, okay, my kids go to that church, you know. And I was like, I'm going to invite her to church. Because you can invite people to other churches. I don't know if you knew this. But I, so I invited her to the church. I'm like, hey, what do you think about coming? And she was like, you know, I think that'd be good for me right now. And so I invited her to come to church. And I walked away and I was like, you know, it's, it's funny. There was a season in my life where I used to get really uncomfortable with that. Because I didn't want to be like that Christian, annoying, you know, neighbor or friend that just would always, you know, try to force you to come to church. And so uh, I'd be really insecure about that. But I've, I've kind of moved past that at this point in my life. And I just invite everybody to church. You know, our, our friends from softball, you know, our, the, the, the families that, you know, our kids hang out with and our neighbors. I just kind of invite people to church. And I honestly can't think of a time where somebody's been like, you religious nut jobs are always inviting me to church. I wish you'd just stop it. You know, people for the most part are like, hey, I, I can appreciate that. You know, you have this faith in some higher power and, you know, you'd invite me to church. I think that means that you care. And in fact, I almost feel like it's gotten weird when we don't invite people to church. Like if you're a Christian here today, some of you might be just checking out church for the first time. But, you know, if you're here today and you're like, I am a Jesus 
follower, uh, maybe you've been in this awkward conversation where you've known somebody for years, but you've been sort of covert about your Christianity. You know, you come to church, you put your sunglasses on, kind of slip in, slip out, hope that nobody sees you. And then this, this friend of yours is like, wait, 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 you go to church? You're, you're a Christian? And then you have this almost like weird conversation about your authenticity as a Christian because you've never talked to them about it or never invited them. And, and I'm almost at this point where I'm like, I just almost think, uh, you know, it, it's just weirder to not invite people to church. And so let me just encourage you, if, if you see a moving truck in your neighborhood this week, um, that is an opportunity. And uh, what we believe, like coming to church doesn't save you. It doesn't mean that if you're new and your friend brought you today, um, you're not like signing up for something. We're not going to send you a bunch of spam. You know, you're not, you're not saying that you're a Christian. You're just saying like, I want to have a conversation about this. And, and every week we come together and do this. And I honestly think it's the most loving thing that you can do is invite people into this community to say, let's just explore who God is together and, and just find out like, are there better things in life for us? Does God have something better for us? And I feel like if you believe that, that truly Jesus is the answer to life, if you truly believe that, then it just makes sense that you want other people to believe it too. It just makes sense that you would want that hope for the people in your life. And so, you know, when I was in Cheyenne, it was really cool. We just, I feel like we had that little interaction. I was reminded that despite the decline in church attendance nationwide, which I don't know if you know this, but there's a decline in the number of people who would say that they want to profess as Christians. There's a lot of, you know, it's politically charged to be a Christian today. Uh, despite that, there, I think, is this growing number of people who are maybe not so interested in religion or the church of their childhood, but they're interested in the God of the Bible. And I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this, but people are open to that conversation. Even people are interested in this book and understanding, like, who is the God of this book and why is this still the, the number one sold book in the world? And, and why do people still continue to come back? I mean, look at this room. These people, all of these people in this room come together on a Sunday morning to talk about the God of this book. That's, that's inspiring and that's compelling. And so have these conversations it was really cool. So uh, we got to go to a night show. Uh, they always have concerts in the evenings. And so, you know, there we are with 25,000 drunk rednecks, right? And, and, and we, we love going to night shows. And I don't know what it is, but every single time we go to the standing room, room only, and I'm always within a 10-foot radius of a puker every single time. There's somebody that cannot hold their liquor that is within a 10-foot radius of me. So this year, I, I learned I wore boots, which is great. And, uh, and same thing, as always, somebody lost it. But we're in the middle of this concert, and there's just people screaming their heads off the lyrics to these songs, which I'm always, always makes me laugh because you come to church and guys are like, you know, I don't, I don't like to sing. Well, not, not unless you're at a Jason Aldean concert, then you scream your lungs out, right? Because people are just screaming their heads off the lyrics to these songs. And I'm just like, I was just thinking, you know, this crowd of people, as they sing together, there's almost this like spiritual thing that happens. I don't know if you've felt this before, if you've been to a big concert or a big show or even like th- these people, you know, may, may or may not believe in God, but there's this like connection as everybody, you know, directs their attention towards one thing and they all sing these songs together. And I just, maybe you think it's weird, but I just, I'm always thinking, what is God doing? And I was just reminded that like inside of everybody, I think, is this realization that they were meant for something more, that we were created for something so much bigger than what we, what we accept in our lives. And, and really the question that we're going to explore today is a question of, are you ready for something better? That's the question today, and it's simply this. Do you want to be healed? 
do you want to be healed? So if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 5. Um, you can download the ACF Church app on your uh, iPhone or Android and follow along with us on that as well. But Jesus asked this question and, and, and it, it forces the man who hears the question to deal with his heart. And so I think it's going to force us to deal with our hearts. So um, can we pray together? And we're just going to ask God to allow us to be honest with ourselves today. Uh, so let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that, uh, that you continue to speak to us uh, through your spirit, through scripture, and through friends that love us uh, today as much as you always have. God, I thank you that you are real and that you love us and that right here in Eagle River, Alaska in 2017, God, you are at work and that you are mobilizing this group of people to be your hands and feet to a, to a lost and broken world. So Jesus, I pray that we would be that to this community. I pray that we would be hope to people and that we would point them uh, to you, the ultimate source of life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what's going on here um, at this point in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 5 is uh, things are escalating. So up until this point, Jesus is uh, sort of this interesting rabbi and the religious leaders of the day are watching him do his thing, watching him teach, uh, but they're not so worried about him. But then Jesus starts to do some things to break some of their religious rules. And now Jesus goes from being sort of this interesting teacher to a threat to the religious establishment. And so where we find ourselves is this, this moment where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and does some things uh, differently than what they would expect him to do as he heals this man on the Sabbath. And so if you want to find this, John chapter 5, uh, verse 1 says this. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic, Aramaic called Bethesda. So Aramaic was the, the spoken language of their day. The pool is called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. So Jesus comes into the city for uh, this feast. Now, the Jewish people had multiple different feasts throughout the year that they'd come to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so Jesus is really coming to town for a party. You can imagine thousands of people flooding into Jerusalem for this feast. Jesus comes in through the sheep gate, and then he comes to this pool called Bethesda. And this actually exists. It's, it's important to start off with Scripture to realize these are real places, Real locations, real people, and, and even to this day, if you visit uh, what's called St. Anne's Church, you're going to see the excavation of the Pool of Bethesda. It's actually two different pools uh, with this, they, they said a colonnade or a, almost like a terrace or a, a cover over top of it that would keep some of the sun off of you as you're at this pool. So Jesus comes into the northeast corner of the city, he comes into the Pool of Bethesda. Verse 3, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So Jesus shows up to the city for this feast, for this big party, and everybody's getting together. Where does Jesus go? He goes to the pool of Bethesda. He goes to this pool in the corner of the, of the city where all of the hurt and broken and diseased people are. This is, this is Jesus. This is the physical representation of God. God runs to the broken. That's the first thing you realize. God runs to the broken. And, and I just, as I was reading this, I was thinking, this, this is not a great place to be. And just think about it. This is a pool of probably kind of like lukewarm water with a bunch of really sick people hanging out in it, right? I mean, I don't know if you get freaked out by public hot tubs. 
but I get a little weirded out by that. It's maybe my own issue, but you just think of like, and we have chlorine, and they didn't have chlorine in the water, but there's this pool like of lukewarm water, and all of these diseased and broken people are hanging out in the pool. Where does Jesus want to go? That pool, right? I'm going to go hang out right there. So he goes to that pool. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed people are hanging out in these tubs. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 4. You see it? There's a problem, right? There's no verse 4. Um, if you're looking in your Bible, there actually is not a verse 4. And you're like, ah, see, this is why I don't listen to the Bible. It's, it's all messed up. So n- here's the deal. We've got we to gotta deal with this. So um, what you need to understand is, is the Bible that we have is based on what are called manuscripts. And manuscripts are these written portions of biblical text that we based what we have is the Bible. And if you didn't know, the, the Bible is basically like a library of books written by over 40 authors over 2,000 years. I mean, this is a really amazing book. And, and it's just, it's becoming more and more precise and accurate to the original text because we're finding more and more of these original manuscripts. So verse 4 is actually taken out unless you have maybe an old King James version. Some of you are, in, are, are like King James readers. And, and unless you have that, it's probably not in your ESV or your NIV. But here's the thing. Don't worry. It's not like a secret. We're not trying to keep it from you. It's probably in the footnotes. If you have a study Bible, it's probably there. And so I want to read this, this piece of scripture for you. The verse 4 says this. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Okay, so basically verse 4 answers a really important question that any of us would have when we're reading the scripture is why are all of the, the broken, lame, diseased people hanging out by a pool? Like, why are they together? What's the point? Why are they there? And verse 4 kind of explains that there was this, this idea that an angel of the Lord would come down, stir the waters, and people would be healed if you were first in the water. It's like a race, right? Like, who can get in there first and who can get healed? So a couple things. As I was studying this this week, uh, the question is, like, why was that, why is that taken out? And the reason is that, that this verse did actually not exist in the earliest and most accurate manuscripts that we have. And it was taken out, and I think there's a couple problems with it specifically, um, and I don't know how you read through Scripture, but a couple things that we deal with here. First of all, what I think is happening probably is that at some point somebody was probably healed in this location. Like, I have no problem with the miraculous. I have no problem that maybe God worked in this moment through some water or through some of his people to heal somebody. But what would be the tendency if you are a blind, lame, or diseased person, if you saw that person get healed in the water? What would you want to do? Go hang out by the water, right? It's like, they got healed in the water. What do I want to do? Be by the water, right? So what I think is going on is there's almost this like superstitious thing going on. Like if I go to the water, I'm going to be healed. So let's just all hang out in the water and maybe God worked that way at some point. But this is always the tendency with people is when we see God work in one way, we say, do it again, right? Do it again. We want to see you do it the exact same way in the exact same place. And we start putting our faith in, in the medium by which God moved instead of God himself, right? We put our faith in the water or in the place or in the person that he used instead of God himself. And I think that's actually what was going, was going on here. Let's keep going. Verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid, he's paralyzed, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. So Jesus knew this man. He's been to Jerusalem before. 
He's seen him there. This man has been there for 38 years. And Jesus is gravitating towards this man. So there's lots of sick people. You need to understand this. Lots of sick and broken people, Jesus is going to actually interact with only one of them. Jesus, it's interesting, he, he, he's not able to heal everybody or he chooses not to heal everybody, but he actually decides to lean in to this one man who's been there for 38 years. Couple different things, you know, sometimes numbers are important. It's interesting that, that the Israelites wandered for 38 years. And so maybe Jesus is connecting this, this man who's sort of wandering, feeling aimless at this place in, in Bethesda, and he gravitates towards this man, and then he asks the big question of the day. He said to him, do you want to be healed? So, uh, really great question. And maybe you're, you're here like, and you're thinking, that's, a, that's an important question to ask. That makes a lot of sense. But if you put yourself in the context, it gets really awkward if you think about it. So, let, let's say you and I, I grab you one day, I'm like, hey, we're going to go down and pray for people at the Providence Cancer Center, right? So we're just going to go down there. So you and I are walking in together and there's people and they're getting chemotherapy and they're, they're, they're getting help and they're sitting there and let's say I just decide to walk up to him and I'm like, do you want to be healed? It's really uncomfortable, right? Because I mean, you're thinking, that's a stupid question, Brian. I mean, look at them. Of course they want to be healed. How could they not want to be? They're, they're here trying to get treatment. Of course they want to be healed. And yet Jesus asks this question and he asks it on purpose because we're going to see that within this man's heart, are some deeper struggles. It's going to identify this man's lack of faith. Why did Jesus ask that question? Verse 7. We're going to see it in his answer. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Okay, so he's paralyzed. Obviously not very fast at getting into the water. And every time he tries to, somebody steps out in front of him and he can't get in the water. It's interesting, Jesus shows up with the power to heal this man and the man's response to Jesus is not, yes, yes, heal me. I'll do whatever it takes, Jesus. Would you heal me? It's, I've been trying for 38 years to get in the water, Jesus, and I can't get in the water. He, he responds to Jesus' opportunity with an excuse. He gives an excuse. In this man, what, what Jesus illuminates in this man is bitterness it's apathy. It's this, this, this excuse instead of, instead of saying, I am ready to receive. Now, some of you are probably going to be a little hard on me because you're like, how could you be hard on a paralyzed man, right? And, and this is true to some extent, right? I mean, this man has been here for 38 years. He's probably frustrated. He's probably a little bitter. He probably, you know, is not everybody's best friend. And so when Jesus asks him, he doesn't jump right up and be like, oh, you can heal me? That's great. Oh, let's, let's do it. He says, I don't know. I'm sure he's got his doubts. And he's got his struggles. This man's bitter. He's, it it's almost seems like this man's identity comes from his infirmity. It's almost like, and maybe you've met somebody like this before, whose sickness sort of becomes who they are. Where maybe you see like something better for this person. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. And, and, and for whatever reason, they just, they are identified by the sickness. And although it's tearing them apart, it's comfortable. They're used to it. They don't really know what it would be like uh, to, to live a life apart from this. They're sick, but at least they feel safe. And there's a tendency in all of us to sort of just be at home with our sin, to be at home with our sickness. And although we would want anything but what we have, we are not ready to give up what we need to to take a step forward. 
So this question, I have the question for you today. Do you want to be healed? Could be rephrased like this. Are you ready to give up what you need to to experience better things in your life? Are you ready to give things up? Because to be healed means, means to give up that old life, to, to give up whatever it is that came before and to receive what Jesus is offering. And so this man, obviously, he's not ready to receive it. He responds with excuses because that is hard. It's hard to give things up. And I, I was actually um, talking with a friend this week and he was sharing his story a little bit and uh, him and his wife came into my office a while back and just shared about how uh, they had been in a situation really similar uh, to this man. And, and so he actually, uh, when he was 14, uh, started struggling with some sexual addiction. Some pornography and, and some other things came into his life and resulted in addiction in his life. And so now, years later, uh, he's married and this, this addiction is, is affecting his marriage. And they're struggling through and the marriage is kind of on the rocks. And they're trying to figure out what, what do we do? How do we take a step forward? And, and here's what was really, uh, I think, uh, powerful that he said to me. He said, you know, I feel like at this season of my life, I didn't really want to be healed. I just didn't want to feel guilty anymore. You see the difference between those two? Like some people are just like so sick of feeling guilty, but they're not ready to respond and to receive something better. They're not really ready to give up the sickness. They just don't want to feel guilty anymore. So he's wrestling with that, wrestling with like Christian advice because the Christians are all like, hey, just pray more, you know? Just go to church more and, and it'll be all better. You know, if you do your quiet time in the morning, that's gonna, that's gonna heal you. And he realized it's just not, it's not working. He's not getting traction in his life. And then he got connected with an organization that, that offered some, some counseling and basically like a retreat that you'd go away. And, and uh, you know, nothing's a, a sure thing, but they, they said, hey, we can't take everybody, but we'll take you and you can be a part of this and there's a chance that you could be healed through this. We'll do some counseling. We'll get you out of your context. And so he went back home and started talking to his wife about it. And there were some real struggles with this taking a step forward because a couple things, um, it was going to be three months. Now, I don't know how long you get for vacation, but I don't get three months of vacation. So you can imagine the thought is like, okay, so if I do this, I lose my job. That's going to be really tough. If I do this, not only do I lose my job, I lose three months worth of income, right? So I'm going to struggle financially. And, and then as they're talking to these people, they're like, oh, by, by the way, this isn't free. The cost is $50,000. $50,000. My job out hit the floor when he said $50,000. And so they're wrestling with this as a couple. And his wife told me, she's like, you know, I was struggling. Do we do this? I don't know if we should take this step forward. And she felt like God said, hey, if he, if he had cancer, would you hesitate? If he had some kind of disease or sickness and there was a treatment to be treating him, would you hesitate to, to get treatment? And she was like, no, of course not. You see, I think what they realized is that, you know, physical sickness is, is bad. I mean, any kind of disease or sickness is bad, but what's even worse is spiritual sickness. It's, it's to be dead on the inside. That's worse than anything. And so they decided to, to take a step forward. And as soon as they did, he was explaining to his boss what he wanted to do. And the boss was like, just stop. Just stop. I got you covered. Take the time you need. They decided to, to mortgage their house and get the, the financing they need to make this happen. And they went and did it. And he told me this week, as of July, he's five years sober. Isn't that awesome? And so I'm just, I'm listening to this man tell his story. And I'm just like, this is this man's situation. Do you want to be healed? It's a deeper question. It's a question of what are you willing to give up to get better? Because some of you are here today and you're like, yeah, my marriage is falling apart, but I want to be healed but counseling is expensive and it's going to take time. So my question is, is do, you, do you really want to be healed? Uh, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know, Brian, like 
I work really hard and I put up with a terrible boss and I hate my job and so I feel like I earn this, this self-medication. When I get home from work, I just spend some time, I'm on the couch and I feel like I earn what I do. I feel like maybe it's, maybe it's sort of an addiction. People are worried about me, but I feel like I've, I've earned it. And the question is, do you want to be healed? And maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you're struggling with, with marriage or finances or whatever it is, and it's going to take a sacrifice. It's going to take giving something up. And the deeper question is, do you want to be healed? Are you ready to give up what it's going to cost you? Maybe time, maybe energy. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Brian, my family doesn't share their feelings. And we just don't talk about that stuff. That's just not who we are. We don't, we don't discuss those deeper things. In fact, you're getting a little in my business right now. This is getting uncomfortable. Do you want to be healed? Are you ready to take a step forward to do whatever it takes to be healed? Or are you giving excuses? Because this man gave excuses. So what's your excuse today? What is it that you're putting in the place of true healing that Jesus wants to offer you? So verse 8 says this. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. So a few observations in this text, just if you want to write these things down. The first thing is this. Jesus gives mercy to the unrepentant. Isn't that cool? This man responds with excuses and Jesus is like, I'm going to heal you anyway. Even if you don't believe in me, I'm going to, I'm going to give you healing just to show you who I am. Jesus says, get up take up your bed and walk. And as soon as he did, he could walk. Now, some of you in the room might have a, a problem with this. So you're like, well, Jesus isn't supposed to heal people or, who aren't re- unrepentant or who are unrepentant. He's not supposed to do that. Maybe you're the kind of person that's like, hey, you made your bed, you sleep in it, right? You didn't respond to Jesus. That's your own fault. But what Jesus does is even this man in this moment where he's giving out all these excuses says, I'll give you healing and I'll show you who I am if you're willing to receive it. But let's keep going. It says, Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. That's crazy, right? When you read Scripture, sometimes you've got to be like, this is nuts. If you put yourself in the situation where they, they know this man, that religious people have seen this man before and the man gets healed after 38 years. And what do they say? Hey, it's the Sabbath. You're picking up your bed. And, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how big of a deal the Sabbath is and how they had then defined the Sabbath using their own, their own way of defining it and created these extra rules, right? And so they had defined what a burden was that on the Sabbath you weren't supposed to pick up a burden. And obviously this mat weighed more than what they thought was legal to pick up on the Sabbath. And so instead of rejoicing, they tell this man, hey, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to do that. Which isn't this what religion does? Like, like religion always trades the beauty of a miracle for the burden of a law. That's what religion does. They, they totally miss the beauty of what God's doing in the moment because they're like, wait, wait a minute. Wait, this does not look like what we think it should look like. This is not the Sabbath according to us. And they totally miss out on what God is doing in this man's life. He just walked after 38 years. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Okay, so this man had an opportunity here, right? He could have responded as as somebody who's appreciative of what Jesus just did. What does he do? Throw him under the bus, right? 
Let's just throw Jesus under the bus. He said, that man told me to get up and walk, and it's his fault. Verse 12, they asked him, who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. The man didn't even know Jesus' name. If somebody healed you after 38 years, would you stop and at least get their name? Like, who, who are you? Like, I'm walking. We should be friends, right? This is a big deal. Doesn't even get his name. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. So Jesus circles back around. Jesus gets out of there because things are getting pretty hot in there and, and the religious people are getting fired up. So Jesus bails out because it's not his time to be crucified. And then he circles back around. And he's like, I want to find the guy that I just healed. And he found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, Jesus' words here reveal something about this man. There's, there's this reality that, we, that sets in that this man had done something to contribute to his situation. Like, he wasn't just simply a victim of what somebody else had done or a victim of the circumstances. This man had done something to put him in this situation. Now, we don't know what it is. Did he get some kind of disease? Did he make some kind of decision that ultimately crippled him? We have no idea, but something in this man was a bad, he had made a bad choice that had put him into this position. So, so write this down. We are victims of our own decisions. We become victims of our own choices. This man is a victim of his own decisions. He's put himself in this place, yet Jesus reaches out to him. Even though he has made his own bed, Jesus says, I am going to give mercy to the unrepentant. We are this man. We are this man. We are victims of our own decisions. We put ourselves in places where we are hurting and we're crying out to God. And, and I'm telling you in my life, many times I see that I put myself there. I made a choice that put myself in this situation. Now, others of you in the room today, um, you are truly victims of something. Like you've gone through something or you're going through something that is circumstantial or, or you are a recipient of somebody else's bad decision. Somebody has wounded you, they have hurt you, and and you don't own that. But everybody in this room does own their response to what other people have done. So so you remain a victim when you choose to be a victim, and, and yet we are a victim even to our own decisions, but we have a choice to make. When Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Will we remain in our situation because it's comfortable? Will we stay here and be identified by this thing that happened to us years ago? Or we step forward and say, Jesus... I've never seen healing before, but I'm going to trust that you can give me something better. I'm going to want something better for myself. The decision is simply this. It's like, uh, do you guys know what it means to double down on something? If if you've ever, like, you know, made a bet and then lost the bet, you have a decision then to make. The guy's like, hey, double or nothing, right? And you, you have a choice. Do I continue on down the road and just put more chips in and potentially lose more? Or do I say, no, I'm, I'm out. I'm just going to back up. This is essentially the decision this man has to make and it's the decision we have to make. Will we double down on our sin? We double down on the choices that we've made or we say, no, I need some help. I want something better for myself. Scripture is full of instances and situations where God's people decide to double down on their sin. God's people decide to double down on their rebellion and say, no, I've got this. And uh, the Proverbs speak much about this. My favorite proverb, I got to read it for you. It speaks about this. It's Proverbs 26, 11. It's one of my favorites. It says this. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. It's getting good, isn't it? Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. 
The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. It's a fun one. I like that. So speaking about those who keep going back to their stuff. So any pet owners in the room? A few of you guys own pets? Okay, so you have found yourself in this situation before, right? Come on, you know you have. So it's normally like 11.30 at night, right? And you're laying in bed and then, then you hear it, right? And, and it's coming from like your living room, probably right in front of your lazy boy chair. And it's this like unmistakable sound, right? Of your pet just losing it. And you've got a choice to make, right? You've got a decision to make. Do I go deal with this right now? Or do I just wait until morning and hope it goes away, right? Do I just hope that it disappears? Because it's happened before, right? Maybe it'll be gone by morning. And this is what the scripture is specifically about. That like, this happens. People are the same. Animals are the same. Still 2,000 years later. He says, we are like a dog that returns to his vomit when we return to our folly, when we don't learn from our circumstances and say, I think, I think it's time to step back from the bet instead of doubling down to say, I just need to do something different. Then he continues on. He talks about the man who thinks he's wise in his own eyes, thinks he's making the right choices. He says there's more hope for a fool than somebody who just keeps thinking they're wise when they keep screwing up and putting themselves in these situations. Then he keeps going. He says, The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. Basically, the sluggard always has excuses. Sluggard, we should bring back that word, the sluggard. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's always an excuse as to why we can't take a step forward. There's always a reason why Jesus can't heal, why he can't do his job. And then it keeps on going. It says that the door turns on his hinges, so a sluggard just stays in his bed, flipping back and forth, wishing for something better, but not actually taking a step, getting out of bed and making a choice for something better in their life. We have all been there. Jesus, he gives mercy to the unrepentant. And although we are victims of our own decisions, he still offers healing, just like he did to this man. Let's go back to John 5.15. It says, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Once again, throwing Jesus under the bus. Hey, I got his name. It's Jesus. That's the guy. You're going to want to crucify him. Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, breaking that Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus says, we are at work. I am doing my father's work. So Jesus gets this man, gives him physical healing. The man rats Jesus out. Jesus is a means to an end. This man gets healed, and then he walks away. It's almost like this man is satisfied with what he got. And you might think, well, why wouldn't he be? All he's wanted for 38 years is to be healed. What could be better than physical healing? I think there is something better. I think Jesus wants something better for this man. I think he wants to give him spiritual healing, but the man chooses to walk away and throw Jesus under the bus. bus. Write this down. Jesus offers a better healing than most of us are willing to ask for. I think most of us settle for a lesser healing than what Jesus wants to give us. This man received a physical healing that would have blown everybody away. They've seen him for years. Now he can walk. Anybody would have thought, this is the best day of this man's life. I don't think it, I don't think it was. I don't think it was. This, maybe, maybe it had gotten better, but this man had something better than that that Jesus wanted to offer him. This man settled for physical healing when Jesus wanted to give him spiritual healing. I think that's it. I think Jesus loves this man. 
And I think he loves you and me enough not to simply leave us with physical healing. Because you're here today and there are things on your mind, right? Like you've got stuff that you're asking God for. Maybe, maybe you're asking him to heal in a certain way or to, to fix a financial issue or to fix a relational issue or, you know, maybe you want to, you know, for God to, you know, make sure that you've got the, the next duty station that you want. So you're praying like, ah, oh, send me to Hawaii, God. That's where I want to be. I don't know what it is. You're asking God for these things. And, and God is like, like this kind of, you know, genie in a bottle. And you're like, all right, God, I have all these things that I want. And in your mind, like these are the, these are the best things. God, God, could you just give me that? When God's like, you know what? I want to give you something deeper than that. And I think we all know deep down inside of us that physical healing isn't everything. And sometimes God heals the way he, we want him to and sometimes he doesn't. But I don't know about you, but I have interacted with people before who maybe have, have lost the use of a limb or maybe they have some kind of sickness or disease. And when you look them in the eye, they almost seem more alive than, than you do. Have you been there before? Like they almost seem like they're, they're more alive and they enjoy life and they enjoy this place that they live in in ways that you have not been able to enjoy it. And you realize that the only thing worse than, than physical death is spiritual death. It's to not actually be truly alive in your heart. And I think everybody in the room, everybody in this city has this deep part of them that knows that they were meant for something better than what they have, that doesn't want to settle for what they have. And it's funny, this pool called Bethesda, it's kind of like the church, isn't it? It's kind of like every single week, like you're here today on a Sunday morning and I don't know why you're here. I mean, maybe you came here for healing. Maybe you came here because like the man I, I said to you, you, you just, you're not ready to get better, but you're so sick of feeling guilty. And so when you come to church, it's almost like church is a place to kind of rinse the guilt off. And then you go home and then you got to come back to church to rinse the guilt off. And then you go home and the next week you come back to church to rinse the guilt off. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just hoping to kind of find out something more about God. Maybe you're here because this is your religious duty. You know, God says I'm supposed to go to church. I go to church. And so this is constantly this thing of earning your way into God's good will. I don't know where you're at or why you're here, but that is exhausting. Like you were never meant to live like that. Do you know that Jesus wants to offer a healing that will sustain you for the rest of your life? Like he wants to give you something better than this, better than running back. And for these people, imagine these people, they kept going back to the water, going maybe, maybe today's the day. Maybe this water's gonna heal me. Maybe today's the day I'm gonna get better. And we've got this pool of water up here. We're doing baptisms today. And here's the thing, this is just water. There's nothing special about it. It's nice and warm, actually. But I just, I think about this. In the book of John, they talk a lot about water. If you've read through the book of John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine, right? First miracle, best miracle in my opinion. Jesus turns water. He takes water. And, and, and throughout the scriptures, God relates himself to water because people understand water. Like for, for people, and we don't get this because we, we're so comfortable as most Americans, but for most people, water is life. Now, you don't have life without water. You find water and you hang out by it because water is life. And so throughout the Old and the New Testament, we see God relating to himself like I am a spring of water. Like come to me if you're weary and I will give you life. Just drink of me. And, and in John chapter four, we see that, that, that Jesus gets this woman at the well. Remember that? And this woman goes to the well to be healed and, and she, she's asking for, for water. And Jesus says, hey, drink of me and, and I'm gonna give you this, this well of, of life for the rest of your existence. And in John chapter five, 
We have these people getting into the water looking for healing that they can only get from Jesus. Don't be distracted by the car alarm. It's okay. Anyway, you guys, listen. I don't know why you're here. I don't know what it is that you're asking to give you life, to heal you, but, but Jesus is the only thing that can heal you. And so we want to share a story uh, of a lady. Her name's Aubrey. And Aubrey actually started coming to church a while back, and she was looking for healing, looking for life, and she found it in Jesus. So check out Aubrey's story. Uh, I was the oldest of four children. I had a father that was an abusive alcoholic man, just always struggling. Um, I felt at a really young age uh, just to be responsible and I was trying to fix him at a young age. When I was uh, six years old, my parents divorced and by the time I was nine years old, I had been sexually abused multiple times because of the lack of a true good father figure and the abuse. I started smoking cigarettes at a young age. I started drinking at a young age. Church was a playground for my father to pick up women. (laughs) And um, my mother used it as um, kind of like as discipline. So when I got in trouble or when I did something wrong, then I went to church. Um, At the age of 22, I was raped. Um, I because of God's grace knowing now, I actually healed really fast from that because I refused to become a victim of it. Shortly after um, the rape, I met my now ex-husband and uh, I kind of saw him. Now looking back at it, he was a lot like my father and I wanted to help him and I wanted to fix him. But there was a lot of fixing and healing I had to do myself, you know, but I had a habit of trying to play God in my life. When I reflected back on my childhood and how much I had learned to thrive in abuse, I didn't want that for my kids. And it was a really hard decision to make to leave my husband. Um, I loved him very much, uh, but I knew I knew I couldn't, I couldn't have my kids. My kids gave me the strength to leave. I moved back to Eagle River and I moved in a duplex facing ACF church. And I spent um, many Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings Um, listening to the worship music here and I was just I was drawn to this place and I was like and one day I'll get the strength one day I'll go there and then uh, a couple months later Dawn my daycare (laughs) provider was kept inviting me to come here and after like the third or fourth time I started coming I I finally came I came and that was in May of 2016 I was out on my deck smoking a cigarette I took the first drag and it burned really supernaturally. It, w- it was crazy, the burn. And I took another drink of coffee, and I was like, well, that's not gonna happen again. So I took another drag of my cigarette, and it burned supernaturally. And I was so confused in that moment. I was like, what is this? And clear as day, clear as day, Jesus spoke to me and said, Aubrey, do you wanna live for your children? If I had to pick a moment, I was home that moment I was with Jesus and I put that cigarette out never picked another one up again so that was on a Monday (laughs) two days later came to the sermon on Wednesday like I do every other Wednesday and they announced baptism I was like okay God I'm listening it's my time it's my time and um, I got baptized on January 
25th, 2017, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. These are happy, humble tears. They're not tears of sadness. Just God is in everything that I do. He's with me as I'm a mom. He's with me with my friends. He's with me at work. That huge hole in me of not having a true father figure and all the previous abuse that had happened to me, I just automatically felt loved and healed and like I could really be who I'm meant to be and serve my purpose through God's love. I was broken, um, I was empty, and I was lacking purpose. And I believe um, I'm a true testimony to what I'm about to say, which is without God, there's no purpose. Without purpose, there's no meaning. And without meaning, there's lack of um, inspiration and hope. And I don't, I have all that now. So good. pretty courageous, isn't it? Share your story like that. Um, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know. Um, Maybe you keep running back to church hoping to get healed. And today is the day that you say, I'm not going to put my faith in the water. I'm not going to put my faith in some kind of religious duty. I want to put my faith in Jesus himself. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to do that. So um, we're going to celebrate baptism today. And if you don't know it, baptism is when you read through scripture basically people would encounter jesus or in the earlier church they would hear the gospel they would receive it and then they would be baptized it's the first thing they did is the first act of obedience it's what jesus calls us to do to repent and to be baptized and for them it wasn't this complicated argument you know we oftentimes ask well do i have to and maybe i can do it later or whatnot for them it was simple my life will never be the same now that I've chosen to follow Jesus. It's so much more than, you know, raising a hand during church or walking up an aisle or, and those things are good things. It's fine. But listen, it's so much more than that. It's to say, listen, I'm going to surrender my life and I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of everything. I'm going to give up what I need to give up to receive something better in Christ Jesus. And so if that's you today, maybe God's speaking to you and saying, today's your day. Maybe you've never been baptized Maybe you've never gone public with your faith, and for you, honestly, you've been sort of that covert Christian that, that kind of hides in the corners and, and has been unwilling to take that step forward. And so maybe today is the day that you say, I'm going to go public with my faith. Basically, baptism is a, it's a symbol of your death to your old self. Like, I'm going to give up that old person. I'm going to give it all up as you go into the water. And as you come out of the water, it's a symbol of your new life in Jesus Christ. That's it. And so if you're here today and God's speaking to you and maybe you didn't sign up to be baptized, um, for us, we just see that in Scripture, people made a commitment to Jesus, then they just got baptized. It wasn't a big class. There wasn't a big, long process. We just want to know that you've made a commitment to follow Jesus. So if you're here and God's speaking to you, um, we have a table in the lobby. We have T-shirts. We have shorts. Um, we have hair dryers in the bathroom. Really, you have no excuse uh, to not take this step forward today. So we'll take care of all the logistics, but for you, you just ask yourself the question, do you want to be healed? And understand this, the water is just water. It's just tap water. But Jesus 
is living water. And he will quench your thirst in a way that nothing else ever will. And so if, if God's doing something in your heart today, would you just pray with me in that way? God, I just commit my life to you. I just, I make a, a, a commitment this morning not to be more religious, but to make you the Lord of my life. Father, I pray that I could give up that old self and receive my new self in Jesus Christ. God, that I could actually receive your grace once and for all, that I could know that I am saved and that I am loved and that can never be taken away from me. So Father, I I commit my heart and my soul and my life and my job and my kids and God, my future all to you. And ask for your grace when I fail. God, may I be your hands and feet to a dark and broken world. I pray it in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, I just would say that you have stepped into new life in Jesus Christ. And the next step is simply to be baptized. And Jesus, I want to pray for all of us here today. We all know what excuse that we are giving you. We all know that one thing that we're not ready to give up so that we could get something better. Could today be the day, that God, that you empower us your church to choose better things for ourselves. We know we can't do it alone. We know we're not strong enough. God, could we be people who lean into our community, who are honest about our brokenness, who can lean into friendships and relationships and family members, and God, that we might be healed as we confess to each other. So God, in the next few moments, speak to our hearts. Pray we can worship you and honor you as those who have been made alive once and for all in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.